with that bursting laugh, welcome to uh, Stuff Magazine's podcast. I'm Toby Shapshak, and that dashing gentleman is... I'm Craig Wilson. Uh, dashing, I'm not so sure about, but uh, I'm here, and I'm keen, and... <laughs> and it could be worse. You could work for the Samsung foldable phone division. It's true. Also, I have to tell you, it could be worse is going to be my family motto one day, except to make it posh, we're going to put it in Latin. Uh, it could be worse indeed. I could indeed be working for Samsung's folding division. It hasn't been the best couple of weeks. You know, we were meant to actually have a Galaxy Fold in our grubby paws around now. It was meant to go on sale in South Africa in about a week's time, around the 9th of May. And instead, they have now been put on hold. Um, not indefinitely, though. There was a launch the other night for Samsung's 8K QLED televisions. And there, it was mentioned that the Fold is now expected to hit the market in June. And of course, Samsung's put itself in rather a sticky situation, which is that it's already made Lord knows how many million of these devices. They had to be pretty close to being ready to ship them, given the timelines. Um, but now they've got a couple of design flaws to fix, uh, but they're still going to actually have to send these out to market. I mean, in the US, people have done pre-orders, so it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Yeah, it is, it is kind of tragic, isn't it? Because it really is an own goal. I yep. mean, one of the one of the bizarreties I thought was all the the, the, the reviewers uh, pulling off what they thought was the screen protector, but was actually part of the actual phone. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's that's not Samsung's fault. Well, Maybe a note no, that no, said this is not a screen protector. I know, but but you know the thing is, I mean, we do it all the time. You get a new phone and it's got a, a little sheet of plastic over the display with a little pull tab in the corner. Or in the case of the recent S10 and S10 Plus, they came with a screen protector pre-installed. Not a great screen protector. I peeled mine off the S10 Plus within days of having it. So I think to peel it off was a perfectly reasonable thing. If it looked, the other thing is, if it looked like it wasn't meant to be part of it. That's a peculiar design decision for what is an ultra premium $2,000 device. And if you're not meant to peel it off, then make it clear that you're not meant to peel it off. Yes, yes. That's what I think the problem should have been. They should have been quicker to do that. But I mean, it's just, it's terribly unfortunate because already everybody's looking at these foldable phones saying, you're kidding, right? $2,000 or in the Huawei case, $2,500 for that, that piece of, uh, you know what I mean? can't swear because then we get downgraded in apple it's it's a hell of a thing isn't it because suddenly the wind has just been taken out of the sails of this brand new device that everyone's been so excited by that's been such a buzz of interest for the last two or three months and all of a sudden it's just well and suddenly the naysayers get to go i told you so yeah i mean this is the problem with i wrote a while ago about this and said that you know essentially what huawei and samsung and the others making folding phones are asking is that they're asking the well-heeled consumer to do the final stage of beta testing. You know, they're rolling these out because it's so important or it's perceived to be so important to be first to market. There seems to be less focus on being the best in the market. And I resent being asked to spend a fortune to do testing for an ultra premium product you know they've said they're only going to do limited numbers to start with and clearly they're feeling out you know how much demand there is for these things and i re i remain extremely excited i think folding phones are going to be absolutely category changing in three or four devices time once they've 
worked out the kinks once they've figured out how to make a hinge that you don't get specks of whatever behind that then yeah. promptly destroy your screen you know once once they've refined this design a bit i think folding phones are incredible the option to have a phone and a tablet in one small device that you can pop in your pocket you know for traveling this just seems brilliant you know i know that you will not carry anything you do not have to carry when traveling exactly so to be able to have something that could serve double duty as say a kindle or triple duty as a kindle and a tablet Fantastic. and a phone no i think it's just I, glorious i mean i agree with you i'm as excited by the idea of a, of a foldable phone because i do read a lot on my phone I, when i'm at home I read on my tablets. I do. Sure. But, but to have it in awesome. one device is fantastic. And of course, I mean, the tablet I read on is an iPad and it's a, yeah. I think, an iPad Air. It's a very old model iPad, but it totally suits my requirements. To have a much better screen instantly makes a difference. You instantly see it. And of course, it's one device. It's yeah. not multiple devices. You've got everything in one place. I find that very attractive. I mean, I, when I travel on a plane, I watch everything on a mobile device. So to have it all in one place, bigger screen for watching movies or TV uh, and bigger screen for reading. I mean, I read an enormous amount. It just makes perfect sense. But the problem is it has to be a great implementation of it. You know, I'm curious to see too what happens with Huawei. You know, Huawei has been a little more cautious. On the one hand, you've got to give it to, to Huawei for being bullshit enough to say we're going to charge another $500 for our folding device, despite the fact that we've actually only got one screen instead of two because we've wrapped it around the outside. We've also only got three cameras on the Huawei instead of six on the Samsung. You know, in terms of the actual hardware involved, the Huawei is arguably a less demanding device in some ways, but they're charging more for it. But also, of course, Huawei is going to have its own challenges, which is that the screen is permanently exposed. And so you have this and that, of course, they have to be plastic because, you know, as we know, glass is not particularly uh, enthusiastic about being bent. You know, Huawei said, well, we're not going to release. Uh, we're not going to lock down a date just yet. We're going to, uh, if you'll excuse the awful pun, uh, work out the kinks. <laughs> um, but, you know, now they've got to be they've got to be watching Samsung very closely. But I'm still fully expecting that there are going to be problems with the Huawei Mate X when it arrives, because this category is just too nascent and people's enthusiasm about getting it to market seems to be getting ahead of their sort of stress testing and uh, considering what, you know, real world users are going to subject these things to. But, you know, meanwhile, we've got Motorola who's talking about doing a folding razor. There were some some leaks earlier this week of what looked like some early images of the device. And this, I think, is really interesting because it combines the sort of nostalgia people might feel for the folding razor phones with the super cutting edge tech of foldable displays in one pocket-sized device. You know, I think if they can get it right, this might be uh, the Motorola that people want for the first time in quite a long time. You know, we don't get the budget Motorolas here. I think those are very desirable. Yeah. But unfortunately, they don't bring these to this market. So maybe we'll see a, a folding Moto Razor. Yeah, I mean, that would be great for Motorola. I mean, I, I had one of those Razors. They were just great phones, weren't they? I mean, they were absolutely iconic. They were just brilliant. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't search for the second letter of someone's name in the contacts book. You could only search for C. <laughs> type CR, it took you to R. Um, 
But it was great, you know. It yeah. was just a great, great device. So I never had one, but oh god, I lusted after them. They were fantastic. I remember seeing, you know, well-heeled friends mine. who had them. I'll, I'll show it to you. It's, it really is fantastic. So it's a thing of beauty, yeah. So maybe, well, maybe Motorola, maybe Motorola will find a strike a balance and and get this right. But either way, look, folding phones aren't going anywhere, and I think we're going to be in for a real treat in a couple of generations' time. My long-running joke at the moment is I can't wait to see the Galaxy Fold Note Five. You know, I think stick a stylus in it, put a few generations of development down the line and it's going to be an absolutely class leading device of course also maybe we will get an apple folding device but you can bet being apple it'll only happen in you know three generations of android device down yeah, the line when everyone's broken it and exactly sorted when, it out and, you know. and they'll probably buy the displays from samsung anyway so they're going to wait for samsung to uh, sort out any hiccups and then um and then invest in that tech sticking with samsung for a minute uh, we saw an interesting story out today which was that samsung's talking about releasing a vertical orientation television called the Cero in Korea, uh, which is of course its home market. Uh, the suggestion is that it's not so much a vertical television as a regular television on a rotating mount where the software uh, is able to adjust accordingly. Now, I mean, we've seen desktop displays like this for ages. I've never had one, but there was a long time where I really wanted one because, you know, to if you write a lot, which is fundamentally what I do most of the day, to be able to turn your screen vertical and make it look like a piece of full scap uh, has always appealed. So really, this is a glorified computer monitor, but the reason seems to be that this is for generation Snapchat, generation Instagram story. The question though is do any of the people who watch this content on their phones really want the option to be able to do it on a big screen? I'm not one of these people so so I don't know. I mean I look at my use case and and I can't see myself doing it, but I do think there is some cognizance of the nature of how the world has changed, right? There was a time where in the era of mm. cameras, you know, DSLRs and SLRs before that, where the dominant image was a horizontal sure, uh, landscape or landscape photograph, yeah. right? Yeah. And now because we all have phones and we take pictures with the phone vertical and we consume so much of our content that way, I think that's the orientation. Certainly for smartphone content, does it scale up to the size of a TV maybe I mean if you think about it you you want to scroll through some Instagram pictures you want to show people it's it's going to look better on that kind of thing but I do think yeah. it's kind of limited until people start shooting movies or TV series in that vertical holding in the in the portraits mode you know of course the videographers out there are issuing a collective groan going oh god don't let it become I, the case. I know, I know I mean I think of the kind of classic cinema techniques I learned when I studied film at sure. university I mean it's it would turn the rule of the third literally on its head on its side i mean it would just be quite a thing and, and visually how does that work because we actually are binary horizontal our well, eyes well, are on either side of our skull not one exactly above one above each so, other so so there's a you know there's a there's a real there's a real reason why horizontal mm. still works but you know i'm i'm interested in trying to see it i mean i can't really say until i see it you know your first impressions i suppose in a knee-jerk kind of way are to say you must be joking but then you show that to a teenager who's only ever grown up on a phone, on sure, a smartphone, sure. and they're going to look at you with this funny old horizontal bias and go, geez, you guys are so anachronistic. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, I wonder about it as a mirroring tool too. You know, you mentioned scrolling through Instagram or browsing the mobile web or any of these sorts of things. I can imagine if I could mirror my phone to a big display, it could be quite nice to sit on the couch and catch up on feeds or catch up on Twitter with my phone just essentially acting as a, as a remote and the screen acting as a mirror thereof. But anyway, I mean, We'll see whether this comes to market. I think what it talks to more importantly is Samsung's ability, which is something that you know, very few other companies can do, to just 
build something, throw it against the wall, so to speak, in this case as a TV, and see if it sticks. When you make, when you control the entire supply chain, when you build every component, you know, we've seen it in the smartphones. Samsung for a time, and to some extent still today, makes a phone with every imaginable screen size. You know, from tiny sort of feature phones with a couple of inch displays up to phablet devices like its flagship S10 Plus and Note range, Samsung can make absolutely every permutation and see what works. Companies like Apple, they make a handful of devices exclusively and they can't take those same kind of manufacturing risks. You know, with these sorts of TVs, this is Samsung just flexing that clout again to be able to try all sorts of form factors. So I think it's exciting in that sense, whether of course it'll ever trickle down to this market uh, remains to be seen. Something that has trickled down to this market, Toby, and, and we know has done very well over the last two years, uh, I think it's about two years since it launched, is Spotify. Yeah. And they just put out actually some, just a year. It's I just over a year. year. Yeah, and they and they, they are doing fantastically well, they say, in South Africa. They obviously won't give out any figures, but sure. they were, and we did a podcast about it recently, they were very gung-ho about how things have taken off in South Africa. Yeah, you had a great and, interview with them. Yeah, and, and, and I think the thing that struck me most it's so interesting for a performer because they were telling me about certain South African performers who change their touring schedule based on where they know they have lots of fans. So sure. to, I forget who it was, but someone realized they had more fans in Durban. So they did a few more extra shows there and a few less somewhere else. Sorry, P probably, you know. <laughs> sure. But I think this is great, right? This is data-informing behavior. And yeah. you're making, making informed decisions based on actual uh, things that you previously wouldn't have had any, any insights in. I think that's that's great. Well, the, the, the news this week was that Spotify has hit 100 million paid subscribers globally. And one of the articles I read was quick to point out that that is double the number of paying users of Apple Music. This is the great fight in streaming is between Spotify and Apple. Spotify, of course, had, the, had something of a head start and operated in the most markets the soonest. But, you know, I think it's interesting, too, is that Spotify has, in many ways, much more on the line than Apple does. You know, for Apple, Apple Music is just one of a slew of businesses and a slew of software services that it offers on top of its core business, which is selling hardware. For Spotify, Spotify's only game is music streaming. Right? That is what it does at the moment. It doesn't sell any hardware, although there has been some rubined. It doesn't offer any other services. Of course, there have been all the podcast acquisitions, the acquisition of Gimlet and uh, Anchor and uh, a third service that starts with a P, the name of which currently escapes me. And clearly they're looking to get into some of the sort of original content that has made Netflix so so wildly successful. But, you know, Spotify, this this is their business. It's make or break. And the problem at the moment is still that they remain loss-making despite those 100 million paying subscribers. You know, the land grab continues and like Uber, like Lyft, like so many yeah. of these companies, they don't actually make money yet. So, you know, you've got to wonder how, how much longer that loss-making position is sustainable and what they can do to change it. You know, is it going to be original content totally i mean you can clearly see where they're going in terms of podcasts which finally have taken off i mean i'd actually like to do just a podcast of our own discussing our favorite podcasts because it's something that we get asked about often yeah it's like my favorite lists are lists of the lists i want to make exactly (laughs) sheldon cooper said if there was a list of things that calmed me down lists would be at the top of that list (laughs) or made me feel more organized very a time I, i mean they're clearly in a land grab but they they probably in the best position of all the people 
people doing land grabs at the moment. I think they, I think they're doing very well with what they are working with and what they are looking at. Mm. Um, and of course, the secret to Spotify is how well they curate things. It's the yeah. secret to to Netflix as well. The recommendation engines are really good, and Spot Spotify. I, I mean, they're just hands down better at this kind of data aggregation and curation than anyone else is. I mean, they just keep playing me. I mean, I've just kind of realized the soundtrack of my entire life is obviously some kind of 70s road trip because that's the kind of music they keep recommending me. I mean, you know what it's because it's they know and they, they know soon enough when we were teenagers. You know, there's this thing on Spotify yes. called Time Capsule. Yes. And mine is uncanny. It is just the songs from my high school years because, you know, as many stories will, will tell you, those are the songs that stick with you because they're the ones that are indelibly marked in your, your mind. Your, your emotional your maturity. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, all those heartbreaks, you know. Exactly. Roxy exactly. Music to the rescue. Roxy Music. So, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we portray our age. Mine was uh, mine is mine is all a selection of Smashing Pumpkin songs from the sort of mid-90s. But yeah, so that's uh, Spotify doing really well. 100 million paid subscribers, which is not to be, uh, to be sniffed at you can bet apple will be working hard to try and close that gap which is rather sizable uh, and then on a related note you know we talked about spotify's acquisitions of gimlet media and anchor the podcast creation tool meanwhile another swedish company that also operates in the podcast space they're called acast announced last week that they have acquired a south african founded company called Pippa. They do a couple of things, but their main focus is they allow people to create podcasts, create automatic transcriptions of those podcasts, uh, which is an amazing tool, you know, using some IBM Watson powered speech recognition and to do things like dynamic advertising. So, you know, most of the time we listen to a podcast, you hear the same baked in ad, whether you download that podcast in Johannesburg or you download that podcast in New York. So one of the things that Acast and Pippa together uh, are able to do is to sell those ads ad slots dynamically to a range of advertisers. So, you know, if you're in Helsinki, you might hear one 30 second ad. If you're in Johannesburg, you might hear a different one. And you can see how this is this is immensely valuable. Instead of selling your ad slot to one advertiser, you're able to resell it for a lower fee, but potentially to, to far more uh, users. And also you can monetize your back catalog. And I think that's really important. You know, I'm sure like me, you've come across certain podcasts that have been going for years. You stumble upon them years down the line and, you know, you go and listen and oh, there's this promo code is available, but it's not available anymore because that was the promo code in the ad three years ago. So there's immense value, I think, to be had in, in being able to dynamically serve contemporary ads in those back catalog episodes. That's exactly what these companies are looking to do. Uh, they haven't disclosed the value of the deal. Unfortunately, we don't know the specifics there, but you can see this is part of that land grab that is going on in the podcast space to try and and monetize this and to turn this into a money-making concern and and you know podcasts are getting so much slicker the production is changing you know we're not having you know you still space for the basement podcasters and uh people like us recording you know with some some decent equipment but otherwise you know doing it themselves but then you have companies like gimlet that are doing super super slick high-end production and and so this looks like a little bit more of the consolidation on that front and uh, I would be surprised if this is Acast's last acquisition in the space, but it's nice to see their first one has a, a South African tie. Indeed, and I, and I think their business model is fantastic. I really do. I mean, if you think about how that huge back catalogue of podcasts that people still go back and listen to, I'm the same. I, you know, imagine there's someone out there who's only just discovered Serial Season One. Sure. You know, <laughs> and try to use that Squarespace code. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> code. exactly. Um, great idea, and well done. Good, good, clever South Africans there. 
So that's been a fascinating catch-up between the snappily dressed Craig Wilson and I. I hope you have enjoyed this and I hope you will join us soon and our next podcast is going to be all the podcasts we listen to. 